Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Michelle Yu. We recorded this on Sunday in her home in San Francisco. Get Up in the Cool is listener-funded. Shout-out to Gnome Berg, Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter. They signed up to download the ever-expanding Get Up in the Cool music archive. There should be about 85 hours of music in there at this point, all tagged high-res MP3s. Enjoy, Gnome, and thanks so much for supporting the show. To everyone who likes the show and wants me to keep making it, go to patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can find the link in the show notes and sign up for a level that you can sustain. Thanks for keeping the show going all these years. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with Michelle Yu, but first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Michelle, you, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I love that tune. <laughs> it's so sweet on purpose. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. I think every musician has a tune like this, which reminds you why you play old time. And that tune is one of those tunes for me. Um, I learned it from Reese Jones. And this leads back to like, what, 20 years ago? I was in med school going to these sessions in New York City. And <clears throat> I was just beginning as a fiddler. And there was an old, old dentist named Dick. I still don't know his last name, Dick the Dentist, who played auto harp and just sat in the way back. Yeah. And he would make these recordings for the young. There was myself and another guy named Andy who were just, we were just learning fiddle from Reese and his um, then partner, Christina. And um, he'd make this, the dentist would make us recordings. And so he recorded this one tune and it just captured the glow of old time in New York City at that era, um, in that era. And it's just... One of those tunes that I listen back to the way Reese played it, and it's so vibrant and live. But I mean, it comes from what the Tennessee Crocketeers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard the source of that one. I've just heard people bring it to a jam when they want like a sweet G tune that oh, uses cool. all the notes. It does use all the yeah. notes, and it ends on the five like that. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's like a. a a chord dictating tune in a way that a lot of old time tunes yeah. aren't, which is like, I think for me that often is synonymous with like, oh, this is like a sweet tune with like actual like, yeah, any tune that ends with, you know, <laughs> it's trying yeah. to tell you something. Yeah. 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 And it has cro- it honeymoon. I know. In right? that. I used to try to say this was, the source was like Crockett's. Honeymooners, but that's not right. It's the Tennessee <laughs> Mountain Crocketeers or the Tennessee Crocketeers. I never get it right. Yeah. Um, it is a really sweet tune. Yeah. Well, that's my go-to tune. That's what I listen to when I forget why I play old-time music. How often do you forget why you play old-time music? You know, lately, in the last two years, actually, it's been fairly, fairly frequently. Like, I, other than this session, I think I played one other old-time session in two years. Maybe... Maybe two old time sessions in two years. Yeah, but I really stepped away from it because um, of work, and yeah, it's hard to be social with people in the way that old time used to mean something to me, like dinner parties and teams yeah. and hosting friends who were traveling in in you know into your town from halfway across the country and festivals. So without that, yeah, it, it's been a while. It's been a minute. So lately, I've been listening to. Especially in getting ready to play with you, I like listen to that a bunch. Yeah, so this is like, well, I mean, what what is it about the tune Crockett's Honeymoon that uh, pulls you back into? That reminds you of why you like old time music because it seems it's separate from, or I guess it's connected to community. Yeah, because of where you learned it. Yeah, I, I think that's why I love it so much. It's just like the recording itself that I have in my head is of a community session that was the glue that held our New York City sessions or scene together. And the person who made this recording was somebody who, you know, was, he was 90 years old and a retired dentist and just trying to pass on this tradition to younger people who he didn't even know in a way that was meaningful. And that to me represents so much of what old time music is. And then you have like your peers and your friends who are your own age that you go to the festivals with. And there was definitely an element to that. Um, But that's what this all... Kind of means to me, and 
you know, when I was learning fiddle first from Reese, he would teach me an Irish tune and an old time tune every lesson every week. And he was like, well, go to the sessions and see which one you like better, the Irish or the old time. And it was so clear to me that like old time music is the community is so supportive and open and just encouraging. And it's not perfectionist. It's okay if you don't play it right or you're out of tune. Mm. Um, and the tunes, you play them for like, you know, 10 hours. And so they're just like two times around and then you're in a new tune, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of like an hour session. And you just always feel like you're, you're, you're barely keeping your head above water. Um, yeah, there's almost like a, a, a bluffing or bluff calling in like old time music. Cause it's like, if this tune is worth playing, right. It should still be good six or seven or 30 minutes from now. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I appreciate about, cause like, yeah, Irish tunes are so often just so gorgeous, but you know, you blink and you miss them. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite fiddlers and dearest friends in old time are in all well used to, and we would play tunes at festivals together for like, I don't know, a half an hour at a time for a single tune. And he used to say that he'd play the tune until it started to sound good. <laughs> and so yeah. the longer you played it, it usually meant like the worst I sounded or something. Yeah. <laughs> it took me that long to actually get it. <laughs> we've been hanging out for a, a couple hours at this point, And we've been talking about the people that we know in common. Another person who has that kind of attitude is about all time tunes is, is Brian Slattery. Yes. And uh, I remember once I was getting ready for an interview and I was learning some tunes in advance. Sometimes I do this if the person wants to play some non-old time tunes. And I was at Brian's house on tour and I was in his living room and playing this tune over and over again. And I was just starting to like really internalize it. And he sat down and started playing with it with me and like, we, yeah, we played it for about like 15 minutes. Um, and then by the end of that, I was just like, God damn it, Brian, I don't remember this tune anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've taken it out of, out of my head and sort of into like my, my body, which is cool for this moment, but I feel less prepared, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I want to ask you questions about if you, it sounded like you wanted to get into fiddling, and you didn't necessarily know what kind of fiddling you wanted to do. But can we play another tune first? Yes. What, what's next? Um, well, <clears throat> there's a tune called Bitter Creek that was making the rounds in the festival scene, yeah. maybe the year I left the East Coast. And um, do you want to know anything about it? Five parts. Five parts? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And... You play each part, like, once. Yeah. Um, what kind of shaped parts are these? They're surprisingly straight. Okay. And there being five of them, but, yeah. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll see how we do. Thank you. 
I, I've never, I've never heard that tune. You said Bitter Creek, and I was like, oh yeah, Bitter Creek, and I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard that before. What is that? Uh, gosh, you know, I knew, wish I knew more history on this one. I can tell you who I learned it yeah. from, which was Aaron Allwell, and then he Reese played this as well, and yeah. it's just it's. You know, there are tunes that make the circuit and all your friends end up playing them. That's cool when they all learn them from different places. Um, it's a very unconcise tune. It's it has a lot to say. wordy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I like, I used to really like tunes like that that have a ton of notes um, because there's a lot to hide behind, right? There's yeah. a lot of tune to hide behind. And you basically play the same thing over and over again, which is like that's welcome old time music. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, Lately, I've been loving tunes that don't leave a lot to hide behind, mm-hmm. and it makes you have to like be more creative. It sounds kind of trite to say, but um, yeah, there was a period of fiddling when I just loved tunes like that. Um, short and bread, the five part short and bread is another one. Yeah, um, yeah, and again, dating back to old lessons from my fiddle teachers. Reese at one point was like, I'm going to teach you a tune that leaves you, like, nothing to hide behind. Yeah. What's a tune with nothing to hide behind? Uh, Great Eagle. Sure. And A. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do it. Do you need to retune? Oh, uh, I do need to retune. Let's... We can do another G tune first, so that makes more sense. Yeah. Well, let me ask, because I was going to ask you, so you were taking lessons with Reese, and... You were learning Irish and old time. I'm guessing, like, I'm curious, why were you interested in fiddling outside of learning a specific tradition? Most people, like, hear, like, an old time band or an Irish, you know, session or something, and they're like, oh, I want to participate in that. But it sounds like you were maybe more interested in fiddling itself, or maybe you just wanted to hang out with Reese. How, How did all this happen? How did you start... Studying with him. Um, well, I heard traditional music on the radio in Boston when I was in college and always wanted to learn it. And I played classically growing up, and that was the start. But I, um, we were talking about how many old-time players started playing in grad school. When I, it wasn't until I got to med school where I was like, oh, I actually have some free time. So I'm going to start learning fiddle. And I literally went on Craigslist, you know. Yeah. In the early 2000s, Craigslist was in fine form, and I found a fiddle teacher, and it was Reese, and that was that. Huh. Why, did, why though? Why fiddle? Oh, I see. Um, I guess it was the easiest instrument uh, to transition to, like being classically trained on violin, and there's something about the instrument that just, I guess, speaks to you. Plus, I guess there's more of a backdrop, like... Um, I guess mountain music from any culture sounds similar to any other culture. Sure. And yeah. in Asian culture, there's the erhu, which is the two-string fiddle that's got the bow like stuck in between the strings. You can't actually separate the bow and the fiddle. Is that the one with, it kind of looks like a, ban- a little banjo, but it has snakeskin on it? Oh. Uh, or is that something else? It could. I don't know my Asian instruments <laughs> very well. It it's looks, a big continent. <laughs> it looks like a croquet mallet. A croquet mallet. Okay. <laughs> like Alice yeah. in Wonderland. Sure. And it's got two strings, and the bow is, like, stuck in between, so it'll play it, and you, like, push and pull. And anyway, I was I was listening to some of this kind of music um, with my family and thinking how similar the old-time tune sounded, because it's all the same. It's like mountain music from any culture. sounds like mountain music from another yeah. one. So they all kind of do the same thing. They drop that... 
that that um, seventh um, tone of the scale, right? They just go. They, s- they somehow all have the pentatonic scale. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's an intuitive thing, I guess. Yeah. To put in your folk music. Yeah, and so um, I think the fiddle naturally spoke to me because that's like such a major instrument in Taiwanese folk music, which is what my family is. Um, and you know, I did dabble in things like the banjo. And you mentioned Brian Slattery, who's I'm very honored to say is a good friend of mine and um, an iconic part of the New York City scene back in the day. And he, yeah. I asked him for a banjo lesson once, and his response was, "Well, with a banjo, you just bang on the thing until it makes the sound you want." He's so <laughs> obtuse about talking about this kind of thing, willfully so, <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. He's, he's just so naturally gifted, you know. But the fiddle, I was like, I can actually wrap my head around that. There is some foundation that I'm not just starting from scratch. So that's, yeah. that's why. Okay, so, but that's why you wanted to play f- fiddle. But why did you, like, in med school say, like, I want to play music? And then why did you turn to, like, trad music? Were you listening in med school to Airhu music? And you're like, I, I want to figure out how... Airhu? Air is that how you say it? Yeah. And you want to figure out how to do that here? Is that literally just it? And that's what sparked that inspiration? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. I wanted a music community to play with. And um, in classical music, you know, I couldn't find 107 of my best friends to sit and play symphonies all the time. And, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, oh, I wanted something different. It's like learning a new language or learning a couple different instruments and old time music to me just seemed like such a natural thing. Yeah. And then this might be getting too deep into my past, but, um, in med school, I, uh, organized this healthcare justice gathering is what we called it. And it was, um, set in West Virginia in Pocahontas County. And I had just learned old time music, um, started taking lessons from Reese and I brought my fiddle down to the first one that I went to where I ended up just being an, atten- an attendee. Um, it was a group of 40 students, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners who came together to try to like innovate and think about how you could deliver healthcare in a more novel way. And anyway, you're in the hills of West Virginia in Pocahontas County. I didn't know anybody really down there. And just playing the fiddle in the mountains, like mm. cinched it for me. It's so, it was such an amazing, magical experience. I remember coming back from that, uh, trip. It was in the middle of December and I came back and, um, Reese had told me that I sounded different. Yeah. Like something had just clicked, and yeah. that was December of two thousand and four, I guess. So huh. it was yeah, that was when I or maybe just two thousand three. Um, but that's when I decided I was just like, this is this is his home to me. This means something, and I ended up organizing that healthcare justice gathering, like that that um, conference for the next four years in med school, and it was just such an iconic part of what I was trying to do with medicine, and yeah. just it just all dovetailed and. It, um, I guess it's a way of saying old-time music opened so many doors for me, introduced me to friends that I wouldn't have made otherwise. Um, I talked to you a little bit earlier about um, the Smokula family, Bob Smokula, yeah. who I met in West Virginia. And I, I went to Augusta that um, that summer after learning my first year of learning old-time and took a bunch of workshops from Jimmy Triplett and all these like incredible West Virginia and Southern players. And, um, yeah, I mean... It's like falling in love for the first time, I guess. Like, is there a reason? Did you choose to do it or did it just happen to you? That's kind of what it was for me. Yeah. And I guess maybe you decided fiddle instead of just playing Erhu because you also wanted community and maybe didn't 
couldn't find an air who like <laughs> or Ta- Taiwanese like music community where you were. Yeah. I don't know how many people are doing like air who. Uh, conventions in the same way that people are playing fiddle, fiddlers conventions here. Yeah, old time music is pretty niche, but I think air music is even more niche. It's yeah. to say. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Nice, at least. Yeah, I think you stated it more concisely and elegantly than I could have. Um, yeah, it and concision and, and elegance are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> That's why podcasts are great. <laughs> That's what we're here for. It's drawn out. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm, I really love history, too. And I love um, living history, which sounds odd, but so much of old time is, it's it's like half and half. It's like part, knowing the history of the tunes and where they came from, but also remembering, for me, it's a very visceral experience of like, oh, I can bring myself back to when I played Bitter Creek at this festival with this person. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, a, in medical training, they... They do something in training called pimping, P-I-M-P, which stands for put in my place, which okay. is <laughs> you're a med student on a team and you get asked all the questions to kind of look so, like like you don't know the answer, so you look silly in front of all your seniors. Um, but it makes you remember the answers to those questions. So it's like, what antibiotic you can do for this post-operative patient or whatever. But in a... In they're not even trying to hide their hazing. <laughs> like they're calling it pimping, literally. Yeah, you get like, put in your place, yeah. yeah. But in I guess there's high music. stakes <laughs> because it's fine if you're going to do it. Put human life at the other end. Yeah. Of um, but also music. So, so the reason they do that is because it activates your temporal lobe, which is your or your amygdala, I guess, is your is your uh, emotional or your fear center. But okay. Yeah. In in um, other emotional states, it, it also acts the same way. Like so, if you have a really positive association or a happy memory with something, you're going to remember that tune or that experience in the same way. And I think that that was the other thing I really loved about old time music is it just makes you makes me present in a way that makes me remember all my friends and the summer festivals that we used to do and camping together and all yeah. the shenanigans that we had, pranks that we pulled on each other, yeah. um, and it just those memories come back so effortlessly to me, especially when I'm playing a tune that a friend of mine taught me or that I remembered playing in some festival. I'm trying to draw a connection between. Um, you're, you're trying to make this case for being pimped by old time music <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it. I guess you're saying like, because you have all this like information about old time music, like the history and the notes and the rhythms and things like that. But when you're accessing that information in specific emotional states, it makes it stick in a different way. Yeah. It yeah. makes it stick and it also makes it, um, easier to call upon. And I think the more of a foundation you have on something, like you got the notes down, right? Yeah. Uh, the more you're able to make it special or make it your own with yeah. the things we were talking about earlier, syncopated beats or different chords or um, just a different feel. Yeah. Yeah. I, no- I noticed uh, in that tune that you were doing some... Um, very subtle chord dictating at me. <laughs> and I appreciated it. I don't, because we, peek behind the curtain, we played it a couple times for me to catch up uh, and figure out all of the different parts. Uh, but there's a part, and then I was going, and then at a certain point, I feel like you, you were playing it just the E, mm-hmm. and then you, after maybe you heard me do it that way, 
I think you put the B. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like those little moments of uh, communication, and because you didn't like yell six at me. High context communication is like more satisfying. This is just this is such a weird uh, maybe connection to make, but like you're talking about like these pimping, <laughs> you're talking <laughs> being put in your place in uh, in medicine, and it's like. Have people tried to to do like the opposite of that, of to like give you just like a super good time and have you pull up all of the like inf- information, like in the way you're talking about for old time music? It's like in um, Monsters Inc. when they find out that chi- children's <laughs> laughter is more is more powerful than screams. <laughs> I love that analogy and that um, story. I wish they did. Uh, I think. Our, our overall shift in teaching is to be more encouraging and, and positive. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that's routinely done. You don't get pat on the shoulder a bunch yeah. in medical training. And, you know, there, there's not a lot of time for it. I, I don't actually mind that much that we don't. Um, but uh, I, I do think that there is a good place for that, especially in, like, education before grad school. Yeah. People, people talk about grad school, and they're like, okay, well, you know, you get... The first day of grad school class, 101, whatever it is, you get told, okay, this is the day that you stop getting spoon-fed. Everybody wanted you to succeed yeah. from kindergarten up through here, but you made it, you're in grad school, of whatever flavor, and this is where you actually like start having to like work to learn yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. This is just, we, we were talking a fair amount before we hit record about uh, gatekeeping in the old-time community. And it's it's interesting, like, because uh, people try to do, like, med school style, like, uh, pimping in the old time community, I think. Because, but, but it's like, yeah, we're not, we're not trying to, like, preserve something, but it's not like a heartbeat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> yeah, uh, but people, like, kind of treat it that way sometimes. And yeah. uh, it's a really interesting connection to make, and I can't quite put my wrap my head around it, but something about that makes a lot of sense is that you're tying, uh, yeah, information to, uh, literally like a a feeling in your body. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I like that a lot. And I don't know how to ask intelligent follow-up questions about that. So let's play another tune. That's why. (laughs) Should we go to A? Um, we could. Or unless you had another G on the way. Well, how do you feel about medleys? Okay. Like what? Um, they're going to be two tunes that maybe you haven't played before. Okay, great. Poor little Mary sitting in the corner. Oh, I know, yeah. And to Lost Everything. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but the one and only time we played together three years ago, <gasps> we did this tune. <laughs> we, as a medley? Medley, I, I'm pretty sure we did. That's so great. Um, so this, the first tune is uh, one that um, was collected from, oh, I'm trying to remember now, and... After all these years of med school, <laughs> my memory is failing me. Um, I think it was either Bruce Green or Jimmy Triplett who collected this, but it was off of, like, a cassette tape, basically. It was barely a tune. as like, three notes to it, and this must have been in the 70s. And James Leva heard it, and he put it together as this tune that's called Poor Little Mary Sitting in the Corner. It's actually a traditional tune. And the second tune is one that James wrote, um, and it's on his record. And... Um, Back when I was learning an old time, my friend made me one of those mix tapes, mix CDs, Cute. that we used to do with all the old time tunes that we loved, and this was on that record. Cool. 
Um, my friend Joe Bass did that for me. Oh, Joe Bass? Yeah. <laughs> Poor little Mary sitting in the corner and she lost everything.
I didn't know the story behind those. Yeah. That's so great. Poor little Mary sitting in a corner was a partial tune that was turned into a whole tune. Yeah. By was it by James Leva or Bruce Green? I think it was like the the you know rundown recording cassette or whatever it was in the beginning was collected by somebody, and then James is the one who yeah. recorded it and kind of passed it around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that it's such a weird melody. I don't know any other tune that I know, right? Does that. It's really it's it's so strange that in old time music, you know, it's like it's on the surface very simple, but it's like that that's the only tune that does that. <laughs> that's the only one. Weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It goes like a fast Five there, the fasty, but I can never describe it to people when I'm trying to like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's beautiful in that uh, unique sense. Yeah. And I don't think you can hide hide behind anything in that one. <laughs> I think, or at least in that section. Yeah, I guess yeah. not. It's not just like a big scale. Yeah. Yeah. You organize this medical like event, justice event, and that. And, and I guess you just brought your fiddle. But the, there weren't any other old-time musicians there. No. And it happened to be in Pocahontas County. Yes. What was it about playing in that atmosphere that, like, clicked for you? I think it was all just very natural. That's my memory of it. And, you know, nobody else at that conference played old-time music. I hadn't gone to Augusta yet. I didn't know anybody in West Virginia. Yeah. Um but I brought my fiddle, and it was something to do, and we had some downtime. And, you know, this the the gathering was a, a collaboration with Patch Adams at his Gesundheit Institute, which um, <clears throat> had a similar mission of just delivering healthcare in a novel way. And, yeah. um, and so it was all about creativity and clowning and just huh. a lot of really interesting, warm-hearted, open-minded people. Um and I think that that fostered, and a lot of community too, and that fostered, I don't know, they, they, it just went hand in hand. And I was sitting outside playing playing the music, and the people, there was an older couple, um, Bonnie and Frank, who were the caretakers of the land, and a gardener, David, who were the ones who lived on site at that place, and like just, they, they loved it, and it was just such an organic part of just being in West Virginia for them, and they were the native ones who lived on the land, and... Um, and then the people who attended the conference, too, like, they just felt it it belonged in a way. And then after Augusta, you know, I met the Smokula family and a bunch of friends in Elkins. And so then from there on out, after that, every December that I'd come back down through um, Elkins to drive down to Pocahontas County, I would stop over and spend a day or two with the Smokulas. And, um, and that part really, really made it special. It was yeah. right around the holidays and the New Year, so it would always be, like, you know, kind of a big... Moment of change or a moment of celebration. Yeah. Where did you learn Grey Eagle? This Grey Eagle. I don't know which one specifically you're about to play. Um, There's so many. This is, yeah, the super straight two-part Grey Eagle in A. I think I learned this from Reese as well. This was the tune where he was at this lesson. He said, I'm going to teach you a tune with nothing to hide behind, so you have to actually do, like, improvisations and things that... <laughs> yeah. Um... Because I was stuck in a rut with too many naughty tunes. Yeah. 
when he was teaching improvisation to you, like, does he mean that in, like, a, a bow rhythm or a technique? Or does he mean that, like, specifically straying from the melody? What do you mean by improvising around this tune, Grey Eagle? Um, for this tune, there's a lot of right-handed bow stuff. Um, but improvisation in general, I think, is all those things that you mentioned. And I remember in the beginning when I was learning old-time music, I was so... We've talked about this authenticity theme a lot and um and i was so worried about not playing all the notes right or just like the recordings i had heard and yeah. making it inauthentic in that sense and i remember coming into one lesson where i was frustrated and said i can't play it the same way twice and it's bothering me that i'm not consistent and reese looked at me and he's like that is probably the most beautiful thing that you could do for yeah. music is just not playing it the same way twice so i'm um, learning to embrace that um yeah yeah do you still not play things the same way twice? Yeah, I don't. There are a lot of people who are very big into bowing, and I wish I were more particular about it because that can give you a lot more improvisation. But once or authenticity to the feel. But once I learned a bowing pattern, if that's the only way I bow it, then I lose a lot of the improvisation. Yeah. You probably see the same when you're playing fiddle, I imagine. Oh yeah, uh, I guess for some people, when they're thinking about what the tune is and if they're a fiddler, yeah. The bow is like the tune, right? You know, that's yeah. like their attitude with it. But um, recently, I was taking a fiddle lesson with Colin Stackhouse. I don't know if you know them. They they were trying to get me to pay attention to what I was doing with my bow, <laughs> like whether when I was going up and down on like specific notes of a passage, and uh, it was just like my brain just I couldn't think about it. I was like, I don't, I'm not paying attention to what my bow is doing. <laughs> and uh, it feels like anti-dancing if I'm doing that. Um, but I guess a lot of people make a lot of really great music thinking specifically. Not being totally dissociated from their bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I think that there's there are some tunes for which the bowing does make the tune. Um, with Dance tunes in particular, I like it when you change the bowing up a lot. Yeah. And I've never been somebody who's super heavy-handed with when I've taught fiddle lessons. I don't teach people specific bowing. I teach people what's natural. And um, yeah, yeah. Some people are more natural up bowers. Some people are more natural down bowers. I don't know. You can nerd out out about this for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into our fiddle geek bowing themes, but yeah, this is a tune. I also have to say, like, I stopped taking lessons for a while, and then I went back. Um, for this one lesson with Reese, and that was one of the best things I did, is like after you've mastered, or think you've mastered, or not a master at anything, but after you think you've gotten good at something, you stop taking lessons, it's really nice to go back and take another lesson. It's It, it just changes everything for you. So this was what? one of those lessons. Yeah, me. why? How? Um, I guess, again, it was like the I had mastered all these really noty tunes and crooked tunes and... and this is what Risa told me. It was like, I'm going to teach you a tune with nothing to hide behind. It's so simple. It's yeah. two parts. It's super straight. It's maybe four chords, three chords, four chords, three chords. <laughs> Would you say this was a, a, a pimping experience? <laughs> <laughs> good question. No, Reese didn't pimp. Um, I think good music teachers don't. They encourage. Yeah. Yeah. But, but did the tune have that effect on you? Oh, you know, maybe. I'm sure Reese was lovely. One thing Reese did do a lot, which... 
um, for all the music educators out there, I think this is cool to do as a teacher. He would, to get me to impro- improvise more, he would play different chords behind pretty standard old-time tunes, knowing that I would hear it. Although mm. I, On the that, guitar? Yeah, he okay. would back me when I was... Um, and then I would screw up if he did a chord change in a place I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Because my mind was just, like, so tethered to this is how it has to sound, and then I would get all, you know, I'd fumble the tune when he changed the chord. Um, But I think that that's a really good experience to have, especially if you're just learning, because um, it's like a real session, you know? People are going to throw whatever eight ball at you, or ball, rather, make some metaphors. (laughs) Throwing eight balls at you. It's very violent. (laughs) That is what I mean. Yeah, I mean, talk about not doing things the same way twice. I know plenty of guitarists who won't make up their mind about where and what the chord changes are in a tune. Yeah, and that can be very exciting, and and in a good way, it can be. Yeah, I think so too. We were talking about um, shenanigans earlier and how there need to be more of them in old time music. Yeah, and we'll get to this tune eventually, I promise. But uh, for for. Maybe a year's birth. Um, my friends around here, the people in the Santa Cruz old time scene, they came up with this idea of they called it heavy bottoming. Which <laughs> I apologize if this is less than PG thirteen, but heavy bottoming. If you're the guitar player in an old time session and you just play whatever chords you want underneath the fiddler, yeah. and it can be a total like old chestnut, like old Dan Tucker or something, yeah. and you just go into like you know what the Irish guitar players would do with their rhythm and their guitar yeah. <laughs> changes. <laughs> and then we would just do this to each other. We started doing a fiddle tunes yeah. this particular summer, and we would just do it, and it was so funny and <laughs> a terrible inside joke, and it probably sounded terrible. But then you know there there is that redeeming uh, moment of authenticity again when like just it yeah. just takes one person who you know is part of the older generation who is you know legit who comes up to your session and says that sounds really good guys and it was the harmonica player oh what is his name i can't remember from the i mean probabilities maybe who am i thinking of you know everybody which, har- which harmonica player <laughs> from from a group a <laughs> from a group in the northwest and he just came up and um oh, maybe it'll come to me was it just... mark graham yes it was <laughs> okay. i think it was i hope it was i, I do know everyone <laughs> yes i've never met mark graham everyone talks about him um, yeah but yeah he came up and he was like i really love what you guys are doing and yeah. we were just horsing around with this heavy bottoming but yeah yeah <laughs> guitar players who changes the chords on you <laughs> yeah that's great heavy bottoming um <laughs> I'm just, yeah, no, that's, uh, I feel like I know a fair amount of, like, old, old-time old power bottoms, like, guitar, oh, you know, guitar It might have been power bottoming instead of heavy bottoming. I think you're right. Okay. I think it's called power bottoming. Interesting. Okay, great. So, like, it's even more on the nose, as in, like, <laughs> specific roles in certain communities. Yeah, great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and... Uh, I love this. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I want to do an episode with all old-time power bottoms. Power bottoms. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think you should because I know... Um, yeah, yeah, who should I have on to do this? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Bill Harlow, number one. Great. He put out an entire record after we had this one, Silly Shenanigan, Avid Old Teams. He did an entire record of power bottoming. It's definitely power bottoming. It's not heavy bottoming. <laughs> Which I'm sure you can find if you look at Bill Harlow. 
Yeah, I've had him on the tune uh, on the show, but only to play fiddle. And mm-hmm. so I I didn't I didn't know that he was an old time power bottom, well, and that's on me for assuming <laughs> that he wasn't. I think his he had a lot opening, of top old time top energy. <laughs> he might he might have been playing fiddle on those rec- and that yeah. record, and then his buddies are doing the power bottom. Okay. but we were we were doing an I can out power bottom you recording contest. Yeah, I can out power bottom you. That's hard to doesn't quite roll off the tongue. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Great. I'm thoroughly incepted with this idea, <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you. Great. <laughs> what a good lead. People are always giving me, like, leads for the show, but this is, like, a, this is the perfect, it's checking a lot of boxes for me. What, old-time Grey Eagle. Old-time Grey <laughs> yeah, Eagle. Yeah, great. In A. In A. Great. Thank you. 
Yeah, I can't hide behind that either, but on a, in a different <laughs> way, because I, like, literally can't play all of those notes, so I have to, like, actually play, like, a normal banjo player. <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Humbling tune, that one. You just told me the name of your band, but it was something still, correct? Yes. But I forget what still. Lonesome Still. Lonesome Still. Thank you. <laughs> Lonesome Still is your band. Yes. And you just had to cancel some shows because of Omicron, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but you'll probably do shows in the future. They won't get canceled. We will do shows in the future, yes. Yeah. And, and how will people find out about those shows and how to show up to them and anything else, any other ways that people can give you, you know... Uh, attention or money for goods and services, <laughs> musical <laughs> and otherwise. Um, well, the band is a local uh, bluegrass, but also they write a lot of originals, uh, kind of band in San Francisco and Berkeley. Um, can I give a shout out to my bandmates here? Yeah. Ian Kel Martin, Garrett Massman, Annette Handel, and all the way across the country, Christina Miller, who's now moved to Asheville. Um, we are lonesome still. We're also on the usual social media outlets. Um, please do not go to lonesomestill.com. <laughs> I know everyone's going to now. Yeah. Please, please, please. At your own risk. <laughs> make sure your antivirus stuff is up to date. Yes. Then you can go check it out. Which was a very humbling lesson when we built the website um, to discover. But that's a story for not on the air. Yeah, so you can find us. We usually play once a month or so at a, a cool brewery in Oakland called Buck Wild. And then there's a great venue just in my neighborhood in Inner Richmond here called the Plow and Stars. And they are on Clement Street. They host a lot of great live traditional music. And we played a bunch of shows there organized by Shelby Ash. She's a big, iconic organizer and music lover in the scene. So those are, those are where you can find us. Yeah, great. Links in the thing. In Thank case you. anyone forgets, just go tap around until you're subscribed to all of the Lots of Still News. To all the Lots of yeah. Still News, yeah. Yeah, it's so good to hang out with you again. Like you said earlier, we've only hung out once before. And uh, it was... Shout out to Sam and Charlie. Um, we... We're in their bunk beds jamming. We <laughs> like were, three yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad we could follow up on that because uh, all, all I knew about you is that I enjoyed hanging out with you and playing tunes with you and that you lived in San Francisco. And that was enough. And now we're here. So, yeah. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. And for this opportunity, this is... Honestly, like the most inspiration I've had to play old things in the last. Yes. So this is <laughs> good. I'm getting a lot back from this team. Good, thank you. Um, yeah. What do you want to do for a final tune? Well, we talked earlier about having a certain cameo from a certain. Oh yeah. Lovely singer yeah. who might be here. Who might be uh, <laughs> a caterpillar on the couch <laughs> in blankets. Um and. Um, I was thinking of a medley, and so maybe we can start with this singing tune. Yeah. It's a version of A Do False Heart, and go into Highlander's Farewell, do you know Oh, that? yeah, great. Kind of something we both know. Are, are we doing both of these in A? I am going to do great. both in A, yeah, is that all right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know the first one, but I know Highlander's Farewell, so yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Visit Lonesome Still's website at lonesome-still.com and like and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Lonesome Still. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawhammer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. 